Hello, my oral surgery friends. This is your host, Dr. Grant Stuckey. In this podcast, you will hear surgeons discussing ways to improve the practice of oral and maxillofacial surgery. The goal of this podcast is to evaluate every aspect that a surgeon can improve in order to create a better experience for patients, staff, and the surgeon. Most of the information shared in this podcast will be based on personal experience and opinions. The methods discussed are meant to provoke thought and should be supplemented with research into the approved studies prior to making changes to one's way of practice. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. Today I'm with Dr. Jake Stuckey. He is an oral maxillofacial surgeon in residency at the Case Western Cleveland program. Jake, thank you for joining us again. Oh yeah, happy to be back. It's been a while. Yes, this is great. I'm really excited to talk to you again in the podcast setting. I talk to you like daily <laughs> over the phone, yes. but this is good to do another podcast. I was talking to you, thought it would be a good idea to discuss a little bit about medical school and have a podcast where you kind of describe your experience and maybe share, you know, some of the things you've learned, things you wish you would have done, etc. Mm-hmm. So hopefully this is a good episode for those who are planning on doing the medical portion of their training. Or even for people who are deciding, because that was a big, you know, question yeah. mark for me throughout dental school. Yep, exactly. So yeah, it should be good. My first question for you, Jake, is maybe you can just explain what is your medical training like at your program? So the way we do it here is when you, after you match, you know, you're sent an email, obviously by the program director and they reach out to you from the medical school and they have you sign a agreement that says you're going to start preparing to take the step one, USMLE part one, you have to pass it essentially on your first try. So you sign an agreement saying that you will do that. And the way it works is as Probably everyone who's going into oral surgery right now knows you, you already have to study for the CBSE. It's very similar. You know, you, you study all those things plus maybe a little bit more. And then uh, we take the, the CBSE once about a month before we start our residency to make sure we're ready. We take step one. And once you pass, you start first year of residency as an intern on oral surgery. So when you're in your oral surgery for intern year, for the most part, you're just doing oral surgery. But at night, probably about twice a week. For most of the year, not the whole year, we would have a course called physical diagnosis where we would go with the first year med students and learn about just, you know, how to do an exam from head to toe, right? We obviously know how to do like the head and neck exam, but yep. we learned all the rest of it, okay. which was actually hilarious because all the med students are like so young, straight out of undergrad, quivering in their boots, thinking about, you know, like seeing a patient for the first time yep. and you walk in there and it's just completely opposite. So... You have a good time. It's not difficult, but you do learn a lot. Then our second year is when we do our, you become a M3 and you do all the core clinical clerkships that you would do if you were a med student from the whole year, you're just essentially a med student. And then during the fourth year of med school, anything that's an elective in med school, you get to, you do essentially oral surgery, which means that we essentially do most of it as oral surgery. Okay. So you are kind of maybe three quarters of the way through your medical school year as an M3. Yeah. You know, how's it been? And are there any surprises or is it kind of what you expected? Yeah. So, I mean, for the most part, it has been kind of what I was expecting. I always wanted to, you know, thinking about doing like a, a dual degree program in dental school, my main 
driving factor was wanting to do the clerkships and spending time on these other services, which is this year that I'm in right now. And it's been cool. So like I did surgery, I was with, you know, thoracic surgery, some different surgery teams. Then you do like psych, neurology, internal medicine, family medicine, peds, and ob So I'm almost done. And honestly, it's been, I've really enjoyed it. I've learned a lot on every different service. I've been able to see a lot of different conditions, talk a lot about, you know, what's going on, do diagnosing, help residents. Being a med student is very different than being a resident. You know, you're not going to be physically the one putting in orders, making the final decisions and you know, making any of the hard calls. But it's been it's been good, you know, knowing that. Yes. So basically, because you, you spend your first year as a resident, it's a grind. You're in charge of a lot of things. You know, there's a lot of heat when you screw up. You're working long hours. And then you go to your second year is your medical school year. And I assume it's relatively easier than your first year. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Just better hours. You're not so much of a grind. I was going to ask, do people realize that, you know, your dental training, is that, do they treat you any differently? Do they bring it up? Yeah, so it kind of depends. I mean, everyone, I guess, has a little bit different philosophy of how to go about med school. The way I've done it personally is I just go in as an M3. I don't really say anything, but I would say 99% of the time within the first like hour, they're going to ask you, so what do you want to do when you know when you graduate next year? And that gives you the opportunity to kind of explain, do an oral maxillofacial surgery, which draws one of two responses. One is, you're what? You're a who? You know, like they've never heard of it. You kind of explain, oh, I went to dental school. This is what I'm doing here right now is an M3 learning, you know, whatever, enthusiastic. Most of the time they're like, oh, cool. Wow, that's amazing. I've never heard of such a thing. Or most people who are familiar will just say, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, we love oral surgery, guys. Sweet. Really glad you're on the team. And then they'll just treat you great. Yeah. So overall, pretty positive. It's not like people are looking down at you thinking you're a mere dentist, right? <laughs> no. Good. No, for the most part. I mean, because as a med student, you're already kind of like at the bottom. So it's not like you could really stoop much lower. <laughs> you're just exactly. you're just there. <laughs> yep. In your program, you probably overall have less actual medical school time, right? Because you're in mm-hmm. kind of a condensed five-year program. Do you know with other programs, like how that plays out? Do they have more time as medical students or how does that work? It does depend on the program you're at. Every program is very, very different how they implement medical school. You know, some places on day one of your residency, you start medical school. Most places, it's on the second year of your residency. And then the actual years that you do are very different. Some places do second year of medical school, meaning that you're going to be sitting in class a lot. Like if you remember when you were a D2, right? Lots and lots of lectures, lots of tests and quizzes and all that kind of stuff. Some places will even have you do parts of year one and year two before starting your clerkships. And then I would say a lot of the programs I looked at, it's year two and three. So you do do your clerkships and then some are years three and four meaning you do all your clerkships. And then fourth year is sort of like clerkships, but they're more optional things, different, you know, electives. It's very chill year where you get to do similar to third year, but it's usually more chill and focused on what you want to do when you graduate, which is different for us. Yeah. What would your advice be to dental students, you know, who have made up their minds, they want to do the sixth year, but they kind of want to pick a program that isn't going to be 
too brutal when it comes to the medical school years? First and foremost, talk to the residents if you can who are doing it because some places they'll they'll tell you, man, the med school is so hard on us. They did X, Y, Z, you know, which is so unnecessary. And other places will say, no, you know, the med school is great. I learned a lot because of this. You know, so definitely talk to the residents. And then also just look at their curriculum setup because after studying for the CBSC for over like a year straight, I feel like during COVID and then studying again for step one, I mean, you just get that info in your head so much. I, you know, wanted to throw up thinking about sitting in another class about that same stuff, right? So yeah. if that's you, definitely consider whether you want to sit another year and sometimes even more than a year in those classes. Mm-hmm. If that's not you, some people feel like they really need that extra didactic background. Yeah. And, you know, you probably will get some different, you, know, you probably will learn it a little bit better and have some different perspectives from hearing it in, from the mouth of the professors. If that's what really what you want to get out of, you want to have that super strong didactic background, you know, then maybe consider doing somewhere that does have that built into it. Okay. But I think it's important because looking in retrospect, I kind of was like, yeah, it doesn't matter either way. But I'm personally very, very glad that I didn't have to sit in a lot of extra classes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I don't feel like that's negatively affected me at all, you know, in my ability to do my clerkships. Okay. What things have you done to make the most out of your time as a medical student? Definitely, you got you to gotta put in some time studying. Even though you won't be sitting in class, you do need to have that discipline, which can be kind of difficult because you don't have quizzes and tests. You have to just set aside the time, you know, every night to study the material that you're working on. And ideally, you study some oral surgery on the side too, <laughs> since you don't want to get any rusty of that. And then other than that, I think something that's been huge for me personally is when I'm working with the team, with the residents and the attending, is to try to be kind of actively engaged in letting them know what I want. A lot of times, you know, they're very flexible and they want to help you to learn, right? So, for example, when I was on family medicine, I remember I had this doctor who said, you know, first thing in the morning, hey, Jake, like, how do you want to do this? Whatever you want to do today is fine. I said, hey, I would love to see your patients, you know, whichever ones you think are great. I'll see them, just do the whole appointment. And then come present them to you with the plan. And if there's any changes, you know, we can make those together if that's okay. And they were, oh, yeah, that's great. If you can do all that stuff and and put it in, I, I would love to. And then I'll just go touch base with the patient. So, you know, that kept me engaged rather than maybe shadowing someone all day long and just listening to them. I, I learn a lot better by actively doing as much as I can. You know, I try to do those kinds of things and tell the team, hey, can I help with this? Can I do that? This is how I'd like to do it. And if, if they're not comfortable with it, they'll just tell you and no one gets offended, you know, but if they are, which most of them are, you can just get a lot more out of the experience. Totally. So kind of recognizing what is best for you and then expressing that so you can do it. Yeah. I mean, and I would guess that most OMS residents, we are of a personality that we're, we want to be hands-on. We want to do as much as we can, you know, after doing dental school, it's just natural for us to be like, hey, I want to do this. We spent, you know, the, our third and fourth year basically doing everything by ourselves. Yeah. And so, and I think that impresses a lot of faculty and other people. They're like, wow, this guy really is, or girl, they just jump right in and they, they're not afraid and they, they're very hands-on and that's how, you know, we learn stuff. Oh, absolutely. When I was like a month or two ago, we had a patient who needed a flu shot, something random. And I was like, okay, I'm going to give you this. I want to give you this shot. Like I'll find the nurse. And I told the nurse, hey, yo, you know, I'd like to do this. You want to come with me or whatever? Because normally they do it and it's, they're so automatic. They don't even expect anyone to help. And mm-hmm. the attending was like, wow, you're like going above and over. I'm like, no, I just want to do something. I just want to like get a, you know, a needle. I, that's something I know how to use. 
Exactly. <laughs> Got to get involved here. <laughs> totally. And I think the more you can do that and like you're saying, be proactive with your learning, the better it will be. So I personally, you know, didn't do the six year. I did a four year program, but I'm sure there's a lot of OMS residents who go into their medical training, you know, with kind of mixed feelings and maybe unsure of how much they really want to get involved because maybe you could have that attitude that, oh, you know, this is just something I got to do and I just want to get it out of the way as opposed to this is a great opportunity for me to learn stuff because it's going to help me later on with my patients. Right. How have you maintained that attitude? So going off of what you're saying right there is one thing that has really helped me is like trying to focus a lot of my learnings on how it will be applicable when I'm in surgery. Because you know how they say a lot of people kind of dismiss the idea of getting an additional medical school because they're, you know, you'll never need to, you know, worry about anyone's kidneys ever again. Instead of kind of dismissing different things, what I try to do is look at all the the different services I'm on and say, okay, how does this apply to what I'm going to be doing realistically? You know, if I'm on psych and someone's having like anxiety issues, how are they dealing with those? And how can we, how can I better deal with anxious people when I'm on surgery? Or when I was on my internal medicine, we have tons of patients on anticoagulants, I remember they asked me to like give some sort of like little lecture on a topic I wanted to talk about. So, I decided to talk about anticoagulation because I wanted to learn more about when do they use it? You know, what are the different types they use for different AFib and, you know, all the different indications because it helps me when I see patients in our clinic who are on anticoagulation. We have so many. By looking at different things that we need to know in oral surgery and learning extra about those when you're on different services, that's also kept me super engaged. Yeah, and I think it's just so important for us to, when we're on these rotations, to be engaged. It's so good for our profession and our image, you know, when when these medical students and other higher-up residents and faculty, when they are impressed with our work, they're like, wow. And later on in their careers, whenever they bump into an OMS, they'll be like, I know those guys. Those guys are hardworking, <laughs> proactive dudes. Like, I love these guys. Exactly. My next question for you is how do you prepare and, you know, effectively take your shelf exams? So, the shelf exams, for those who don't know, are essentially like broken down pieces of the USMLE Step 2 that are focused on a specific clerkship that you're on, right? So, for example, I just took the neurology shelf exam because after I was on neurology, I took psych after psych, so on and so forth. So, at the end of the year, you take step two, which, you know, if you've been taking the shelves all along the way, you'll be more prepared and you can take the step two and pass it. So, the way that I've been preparing for those, a lot of people, you know, are familiar with what's called UWorld. It's like a database of that you can purchase of a lot of different questions and it helps teach you through them. So, that's essential. It's expensive, but you got to just bite the bullet and do it. And then there's a lot of free resources online, like online med ed and different ones you can ask medical students that you're working with. They're free resources. You just like watch videos and they'll kind of explain the high yield topics for that particular service. So that's really what it comes down to. There's a first aid book I use to reference, but for the most part, I'm just doing practice questions and you know reviewing some videos. Yeah. And how do your exams go? Are they tough? Are they easy? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like step one in the sense that there's a, a lot of material and it's much more focused on rather than like, do you know this fact about this? It's, you know, here's the situation. What's the next best thing to do? So you kind of have to know management and you have to be able to make kind of clinical decisions. So it can be a little bit challenging, especially if you're, you know, haven't seen many of these, these things. It's just based off of your, your studies. But 
what I will say is that I haven't, and neither of any of the other residents I've worked with have any issue passing these tests as long as you put in a little bit of time to study. It's not as crazy as step one where you have to just like go insane, ham, studying hours and hours every single day. But you do have to be consistent. If you put in the time, you shouldn't have any issue with it. And there are multiple choice or how is it structured? Yeah, it's essentially like they're almost all clinical vignettes. So it'll be like, you know, patient is... 67 years old, presents with history of this, blah, 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 this is what's going on, this is what's happening. And then it will say, what's the next best step? Or how would you manage this? Or what's the best lab test to take? There's, It's kind of more question-based, like that story. Okay, awesome. Next question is, you know, how do you feel your medical school experience will influence your OMS practice down the road? It's kind of hard to know sometimes. Like some of the other podcasts have talked about whether the degree itself will do anything. And I'm honestly not really worried about that. I haven't considered too much about that. More so just the actual time I've spent and the learning I've done. I'm hoping it will help me to better understand my patients, their background, their, especially their medical background and for those who are, you know, have complex history. It's like I was listening to that episode that you did recently by Dr. Schlevy when he was talking about osteoporotic necrosis. And when he was like describing all the different treatments for it and the different ways to use, you know, the radiation, how that affects, you know, yeah. what we might see in the surgery, it kind of made me smile because the more you can learn about the medicine side of things, it also helps influence our understanding of, of what we do as well. So, I do think that it has helped me a lot. As I've moonlighted, I felt, you know, comfortable in what I've been doing when I have patients who are having any, you know, medical issues and how to proceed, how to work with their doctors. But the million dollar question is, is that necessarily going to really even change anything if I hadn't done it? And I don't know. I'm sure my patients would have been just fine without it, but I've enjoyed it. And I think it will help me. Yeah. I really enjoyed talking to you because you and I talk, you know, at least every couple of days about what you're experiencing. I love hearing your stories, you know, asking <laughs> you questions about what you're learning can only benefit you in the ways that you're treating your patients. You know, there's still times where I have to stop and go jump on up to date and kind of read about a new medication or you know figure things out and i just think the more experience you have with diagnosing patients and getting into their whole medical scene is just helpful for you i think certainly probably 90 percent maybe of our patients it's not going to matter too much that you did medical school or not but there's a certain 10 you know probably somewhere between 10 20 percent that are very sick, very complicated medical issues. Those people, I think it's just invaluable to have that experience in medical school. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You feel like, you know, your time on medical school is going to have any type of negative impact on your oral surgery training, you know, is being away from that and kind of having that your OMS training disrupted going to have a negative aspect? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great question too. And being away from medical school definitely has the potential to slow you down, right? And you'll definitely meet people who will say, yeah, well, you know, after a month or two back on service, your lickety split is good as new. And I don't know, maybe that's true. But I noticed that when I was gone, even just on anesthesia for a couple of weeks, a month or two, you start feeling kind of rusty. And you're like, that's a lot of time that I just spent away from the clinic, not using my hands, not doing any oral surgery. And you come back, it's more difficult. One thing that I totally underestimated, but I'm very glad that I have, is our ability to moonlight during medical school. 
as long as it doesn't interfere with any of our other commitments, we're allowed to do that based on the fact that we have our own full licenses, right, in the state. And that's been huge. I mean, I talk to you all the time about the different cases that I see, the things that I've learned, what I've been able to do. And I think that that has been really valuable for me during this time, because not only do I continue to learn and have just really enjoyed it, but I keep my hands fresh moving every single time I've been learning new things. Like, like we've discussed, you know, I've been switching sides, learning new techniques, doing different things like that. And it, obviously without, you know, an attending overseeing me, it's not like I'm trying anything out of the realm of what I'd be comfortable doing. Right. But I really underestimated how valuable that would be for me. So if that's something that's available for you to do, obviously as an applicant, you're just thinking like, oh, money, moonlighting, yeah, money, that's great. Which, yeah, you know, there is that. But the actual clinical experience, I think that negates a lot of the negative effects of being away from on service. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Moonlighting can just be so valuable during those medical school years as a way to kind of keep your oral surgery skills more fluid and current and not be so rusty once you return. Mm -hmm. Something that I don't think is talked about much, but I think something that those who are investigating programs should ask about, you know, and kind of definitely know if that's an option because it can be so helpful. Yeah. And honestly, at a lot of places, it seems almost like it's a bit of like a taboo or like people don't want to, don't want to bring it up or talk about it. But I, I know the more I've done it, the more I realize that it's, it's definitely an asset for a program to have. And again, you're not going to be doing anything outside of the scope or the realm that you would have been comfortable doing on your own license anyways. But I think it's very, very valuable. Awesome. Run through us real quick, which clerkships and things you are experiencing, what you've had to do so far and what you're going to be doing. Yeah. So I started off my second year, I was doing surgery. So I was on two different services. I did general surgery. So I saw you get assigned to a team and you work with that team for, I don't know, I think it was a month or so, maybe six weeks. And on that, you know, you have an attending who's kind of overseeing you and then you just work with the residents who are on service. So when I was there, I, I got to scrub in and help with a lot of surgeries. You know, help is a pretty loose term. I, I closed a lot of wounds and, you know, retracted, used the camera, did a couple things here and there, but you're obviously not, you know, running the show in any way. But uh, I saw a lot of, you know, hernias, abdominal surgeries, cholecystectomies, appendectomies, that kind of stuff. And I did help actually uh, when I was rotating through pediatric surgery. I got to be like a first assist for a procedure, which was kind of cool nice. for a hernia repair. So that was fun. And then I also spent an equal amount of time on cardiothoracic surgery. Or no, I was on just, just regular thoracic surgery. I got to see some cardiothoracic. But on that, you we saw a lot of lung cancer, removed a lot of you know, lobes of lungs and stuff like that. So it was really cool just to see. You learn a lot about anatomy when you're on surgery, just how the services work. You do get a scrub into quite a few cases. After that, I did psych. So you spend two months on psych, you do consulting. So like any inpatients that have any psych issues whatsoever, you'll go and with the residents, determine what they need and how you can help them. And then you spend like a month on inpatient psych. So people who come primarily for psych reasons, you know, a lot of schizophrenia, suicide attempts, you know, bipolar, kind of stuff like that. And you learn how to help those people, which is really cool. There's a lot of legal things that go into it, holding people against their will, right? If there's danger to themselves or others. And so you learn a lot about that kind of stuff. Spent all time on neurology. I got lucky. And so when you get different services, you can pick what sub teams you want to be on. So when I, when I got neurology, I, I wanted to be on neurosurgery among some other things I did. So I got to spend like a month with neurosurgery, which was super cool seeing different brain surgeries. I got to put a screw 
Yeah, to screw a plate into someone's skull, which is really cool. You know, he saw nice. their brain. Got to do that. I remember when I was a dental student, first time in the OR, I was like, the whole like, please don't pass out. Like, it's going to be a lot of blood. <laughs> like, I go in there and then uh, Dr. Tarani, who you've had on the podcast before, was like, do you want to give him some local? And I was like, I've never even given local before. And she's like, oh, man, you are green. Okay, we'll let you use, we'll let you put in a screw. <laughs> so, it was like one of those moments where I put in a screw and felt like just like the coolest person ever. So, Right. Definitely got to see some cool stuff on neurosurgery. And then I did family medicine where you essentially spent, let's see, it was almost two months, a month and a half out in, in a bunch of different clinics. And you just work with a bunch of different attendings and you see patients, you know, coming in for high blood pressure, for diabetes, anything, right? Just like you would go see your doctor, yeah. you interview them and help them out. Most recently, I've been on internal medicine, which is really interesting. You see a lot of patients who literally have anything, they just get essentially dumped down into medicine to help manage them, which I've, I've actually learned a ton because like surgery, the way I see it is, you know, a lot of things that come to us are very straightforward in terms of diagnosis, right? You know, man fell down upstairs, whacked his face on a stair. Here's the x-ray. This is what's broken. What do you want to do? Whereas medicine is a lot more unclear, you know, mm-hmm. and it's learning how to figure out that puzzle and what to do is, is kind of fun. And then I'll end up my last couple months on ob and peds. You were talking about a patient who super sick and kind of at the hospice type level. And, you know, she's saying that she doesn't want treatment, you know, kind of prepared to die. And her family saying, no, we need everything possible to save her. Mm-hmm. There's such difficult experiences to go through. But can you talk a little bit about that and how that affected you? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, while you're on these clerkships, you also have kind of almost mini clerkships in them where you do different things. So I spent a week on geriatrics and palliative care during my internal medicine rotation. And on the palliative care rotation, you speak to patients who are near the end of their life. And you, a lot of them kind of have to make those those hard decisions, whether they want to be resuscitated if, if you know, their heart stops beating or whether they want to be intubated. And, and it's not just, you know, some young 20-year-old guy who that's a foreign thought. These are people who it's very likely to happen soon. People who might be going on hospice or making these decisions with their family, like I said. And it was hard to see. And it, it made me think like, what what would that be like with my own family members? And also kind of just grateful that a lot of the patients that we deal with are fairly healthy, you know, and even the ones who are more sick, you know, for the most part, we're not concerned about them dying, you know, anytime yeah. soon. So, it definitely made me start to consider more on when we do have the patients who are more sick, how are we going to help them rather than just, you know, saying, oh, you're too sick. We can't, we can't do surgery on you. See you later. Learning more how we can help improve their quality of life, you know, through our surgeries. And if we can't, who to hook them up with who can. It's great to see that stuff. I think it's tempting, you know, as, as a normal maxillofacial surgeon, when you, when 90% of your patients are super healthy, you know, probably 50% are teenagers, they have no issues, you take their wisdom teeth out, it's all good. It's tough, I think, for a lot of guys and gals when you get the 10% who are very sick, they have very complex medical issues. It's tough to have the patients to work with them, coordinate their care, talk to their doctors, figure out what blood thinners they're taking, what chemo agents they're on, all this stuff. And have the patients to do that and do the proper workup and treat them and not just say, I don't have time for this. You know, let's turf them to someone else or, yeah, you know, just get rid of this patient because I, I have too many easy patients. 
for sure. I mean, it's it's definitely a lot more effort. And I mean, while you're saying that, it reminds me, I, I can't remember whether it was uh, Dr. Oli Jensen or someone else on one of your very, very early podcasts. You asked him what was one of the most satisfying things that they've done or the biggest accomplishments. And they talked about how they had this patient who had, you know, some mental disabilities. It was really, really hard to work with and they just couldn't tolerate the procedures. And they had to take him back to the OR like multiple times. Everything went wrong. It just kept going wrong. But that in the end, he was able to help this family, even mm-hmm. though it was really difficult. And that was one of the things he was most proud of, you know, yeah. working with those people who just really, really needed him and no one else wanted to. Yeah, that was Oli Jensen. That's That was a great story. I mean, I personally just ha- have a very hard time turning people away. So, I feel for them. I kind of stop what I'm doing, take time to help them out. There's just so many people mm-hmm. who are in rough shape and it's important for us to help them and not, I mean, their life's hard enough and it gets even harder when we're all turfing them to someone else and they have to figure out, you know, who they can see. And now can this other doctor take my insurance and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's great that to get that medical school training and feel comfortable and anyone who's spent any time on internal medicine, I feel like starts to get an appreciation for difficult patients and being patient with them because there's nothing, I feel like nothing fast happens on internal medicine. It's all over the course of days, weeks, months of treating these patients. It's very time consuming. Right. Just in regards to the USMLE and I'm sure there's dental students out there who worry about that test and maybe even just taking that is enough for them to say, ah, bag medical school. I don't want any more tests. <laughs> what was your experience like with step one and then preparing for step two? I mean, I tried to view it like I did the DAT, which is more of an opportunity to like yeah. really do your best, put in X amount of hours and then just move on. Right. But it was hard. I mean, Having said that, it's not fun to study that many hours for a test, especially after having studied for the CBSC. I don't know if you remember, this was back in a couple of years ago when I was in dental school studying for the CBSC. And it was like, I felt like my soul was just being like sucked out, right? Because I, I mean, I'm married, I have two kids. And the only thing I could think about, you know, was studying for that test. So once you get into residency, trying to stomach the fact that you need to do that again is is hard. It is. But I will say that that last time around when I did study and, and finally take that test, you know, I learned the most and it was worth it. But, you know, it's still hard. What I will say, though, is for those students who are going to get into oral surgery and do this, you can do it. I mean, if you took the CBSC and you got a score that a school is going to accept you in, into med school, it's because they're confident in you in being able to pass that test. You know, and you have the skills, you know how to study, you can do it again. And the last time around, you know, is is not as difficult ever as the first time. And you're probably going to get more out of it. So, it is what it is. kind of sucks, but, you know, you'll learn a ton. Yeah, and that's a great way to look at it as more of an opportunity to kind of like force learning, I guess. But for me, like some of those tests that I've had to take really were some of the best learning experiences. I mean, I think back to my preparation for the oral certifying exam to become board certified. And it was such a great thing for me to study. And I learned so much in preparing. And there's going to be some people who learn a lot by preparing for tests and other people just cram. And then the next day, they just 
you know, like a dump truck, it just empties all out <laughs> of their brain. Yeah. But I think if you look at it, like you're saying, like an opportunity to learn more and to really get into the nitty gritty of, you know, some of these medications and medical issues, it's good and it, and it can only benefit you in the long run. Yeah, exactly. And having that attitude, I mean, it's going to help you do better on the test anyways, you know, rather than aiming for uh, passing, it's going to help you yeah. go way beyond that. Totally. Yeah. I've talked a lot about this with many of the people on the podcast. I've talked about the desire to learn. And I think if you really have a passion for learning and just you're motivated by learning cool new stuff, it's just another tremendous opportunity for you in your life to go to medical school, to get that extra training, to learn from all these great people in the field. So it can be a tremendous asset to your learning and and a very exciting time for you. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I will say being where I'm at right now, almost done with third year, I'm very happy that I don't have another year because I've learned a ton, but I'm also just excited to get back to oral surgery and move on. It's hard to make those decisions when you're a dental student, how much time you're willing to dedicate towards being away. But, you know, it's definitely just something you got to decide whether you think you can do. I was wondering for you, I, I heard a lot of your stories when I was I was so much younger when you were in residency and I didn't quite comprehend exactly what that entailed until now that I'm a resident. But what was your experience like doing your surgery rotations or off-service rotations with other medical teams or surgery teams, you know, not having done some of these other clerkships or seeing kind of that backside of it? Was it difficult or, you know, what was it like? Overall, it was it was good. I think there's definitely many times in my rotations where I was lacking that knowledge, you know, and I certainly wished I had had it. And I kind of had to, sometimes it's a fake it till you make it experience. And other times it's like, hey, I really don't know the answer to this or when there's pimping going on. I remember one specific instance when I was rotating on general surgery and we had this big lecture in this huge auditorium. And one of the attendings was a bit of a difficult guy and he would always try to single me out and try to give me a hard time because he, and he even told me, he's like, I just don't like the fact that there's you dental guys on our service. It's just not right. You don't have the training we do. And we were in this big auditorium and there's probably, you know, a hundred residents in there and all the general surgery faculty are there. And he singles me out and goes, you know, Dr. Stuckey, can you explain a little bit to us about, he's like presenting this very complicated hernia case and the mesh got infected and oh, boy. back. And he asked like a very detailed question about a certain type of hernia. And I didn't know, it was like a, I can't even remember. It was a complicated thing, like where you only see it and there's some type of entanglement and there's a name for it. And he like, was pimping me hey can you explain to us what this is and you know, what you're seeing and I just kind of turned red and I was like you know I really don't know I haven't studied this and it was super awkward he just kind of nodded his head and said okay and he asked like one of the chief residents next to me hey can you help him out and she ripped off you know what it yeah. was easily and he was just like see I told you these dental guys are a bunch of you know, losers But overall, I think I left a very good impression on the people I was working with because I was always of the mentality of I'm here to learn and I'm jumping in and I'm the first one to to grab the syringe or, you know, check the vitals and I'm not afraid to be the 
mule of the surface, so to speak, and do things. I heard it so often, like, man, we are so grateful to have you guys on our service because we just get so much more done than most of our, you know, residents. But I'm not going to lie, it is challenging. And there's definitely going to be times where you're lacking knowledge that you would have had if you had done those medical school years and taken the shelf exams and, and all that stuff. But maybe being able to, I mean, if you're in that situation, you probably had to rely just a little more heavily on the other residents who are on your service, right? And kind of have yeah. them help you through when you're on their service. Absolutely. Yep. Anyways, well, I think that's helpful. Are you okay if our listeners reach out to you if they have questions about medical school? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Love to answer any questions. And I have friends at a lot of different programs across the nation that we interviewed together with. If you have any questions about specific programs I don't know too much about, I can always find someone who does. Awesome, man. Well, I think that's really helpful. Thanks for um, taking the time to talk a little bit about this and your experience and good luck with the rest of medical school. Thank you. We'll have to chat about some more, more topics here coming up soon, stuff that's helpful for dental students and residents alike. Let's do it, man. Thank you so much. Have a good rest of the day. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. If you are an oral and maxillofacial surgeon and would like to be on this podcast, please email me at grantstukey at gmail.com or text me at 720-441-6059. Also, if you have any topics that you would like to hear discussed or feedback on a certain episode that has already aired, please call or email or text me. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode.